What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. started uh if you guys are yeah sure all right yeah. Awesome. absolutely yeah awesome all right so welcome back to conspiracy normal everybody we are back we got uh Serfiel here myself um and An we're all star cast yeah we're sitting right next to the <laughs> washer and the dryer in a, in a in a new position down here in rest well it's not studio b anymore this is now officially <laughs> officially studio the only studio we have so that uh but it is a great place with an alien looking at us and our strange realities conference uh backdrop behind us if you guys could only see this on video maybe one day you will but we've got uh yeah we've got a round table tonight guys and this round table kind of came about because Someone on Twitter, and now I have forgotten who the person was that suggested this, wanted to hear a roundtable with John Tinney and Richard Haddam. And so... <laughs> I think I think it was me who wanted to hear that, so... Was it you? Yeah, okay. And, then I, I think, okay. and then I think I liked it. <laughs> okay, okay. All right, all right. It seemed like there was a third party involved, but... Uh, but, uh, but uh, I'm sure I, they'll remind you. And I wanted to talk about to, to Richard about Orfeo Angelucci, and I thought, well, you know, there's no better person to talk to about that kind of weird stuff 
than uh, Aaron Gullius. And so since Aaron has been really just been kicking ass on Saucer Life, we, we brought him back as well. So Aaron, welcome welcome back to Conspiranormal. John, uh, Richard, welcome back yeah. too. Thank you. Thanks. So, uh, let's get started. I <laughs> wanted to talk about with, and John, feel free too. Um, you know, I know that you know a lot about these subjects as well. Or so, let's talk a little bit of Orfeo Angelucci. Um, and I've got some you know, some questions and such was, we talked a little bit, a couple, two, three episodes ago. Now, I think we talked to Nick Redfern and we talked mm-hmm. about Angelucci cause this was in reference to his book on the Soviet influence on like, dis, like UFO disinformation. Yeah. And the possibility that Angelucci yeah. was mind controlled or he was messed with or, or whatever, but let's kind of get the background. Like what, uh, Richard, if you want to start off, um, kind of like, you know, because I know you're seriously into into Angelucci stuff. Well, I got into Angelucci because um, because he's a he's a, a, a local boy. Uh, he was uh, living up in Glendale, which is just, I mean, one city over from Pasadena. OK, um, he worked uh, at um, it, it was it was it Boeing. It was the it was the. Um, uh, the aerospace manufacturing plant uh, off the five freeway. And uh, it was, I mean, like I can, I I could drive there. There's now a shopping mall there, but I could be there in 20 minutes and I could actually trace the path he took from work on the night he was coming home and first saw the weird light in the sky. In fact, um, I, I, I used to have a job uh, writing on a show where I would drive through the intersection where he was when he saw that light. Really? And uh, yeah. And then just, it, it just led him straight down to Griffith park. I don't know if you're familiar with Los Angeles, but sort of in the middle of this giant sprawl of a city is this giant sprawl of a park. Um, I mean, it's just like a big, almost like a, like a mini mountain range kind of thing. Is that where but the observatory uh, is? Is what? Is that where the observatory is? Uh, yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah, so um, if you've seen Rebel Without a Cause, you know exactly where it is. Right. And um, and so he fought, whatever this light was, he he followed it down this uh, particular street all the way to the park. Now, when I say park, I'm talking it's like a wilderness area. It's like, and in the in, back in the decade when he was doing it, it it was not very well lit. I mean, it was almost like driving into a you know kind of a an unpopulated area. And he sort of followed it around and then had this giant encounter. Um, and if you come to LA, you can just drive right along the road and you can pretty much pinpoint exactly where he was when he had his first encounter. And then a little further down the road where the five freeway now is by the LA zoo and the Gene Autry museum, um, there used to not be a freeway. There was just the LA river in LA, a river is a giant concrete trough for, <laughs> yeah. for storm drainage. But anyway, you can um, you can see the archway of the bridge that that spans it because that still exists for Glendale Avenue, and you can see exactly again if the freeway wasn't there, it's like okay, he was standing right down there. So it's fun to be able to kind of retrace the steps of a historic. Uh, um, you know, UFO sighting and, and, and contactee experience 
and then just follow Glendale Avenue up a couple blocks to where somewhere in the area, that's where he lived. And, and I've always hoped that somehow someone would hear one of these podcasts and go, hey, I'm his son or his grandson or something <laughs> because we have two little boys. And I would, you know, I mean, it would blow my mind to actually speak to a relative of his who, who has any memory of this. But, you know, so far it hasn't happened. Maybe let them get a whiff that you're writing a screenplay and they'll probably come around. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they'll come sniffing out that, that fine coin. Well, what was his experience? What happened to, to Angelucci? Um, shall I jump in again? Or, uh, Aaron, you want to uh, jump no, in? No, go, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, um, I, 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 you know, this is going to just be for my, my personal recall. I, I, I didn't, uh, I suppose I could walk over and grab the book off the shelf, but yeah, why, why do that? Um, the, the first experience he had was, was, was quite visual and it did involve a craft and a craft that then seemed to display a television screen to him where he saw something that looked quasi human that communicated to him inside his mind, which is very common, uh, if, you know, to, to all of us having this conversation, uh, people reporting the, 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 the telepathic communication. Um, what, what's always interesting to me about Angelucci was the, um, was, were the physical symptoms he experienced right before he would typically have a contact experience. And, and I would love to know if you guys hear about this a lot, but he would experience weird pains in his mm. neck and shoulders yeah. and, and, and almost a feeling like his, like there was electricity in the air, like his hair would stand on end, but he would feel real physical distress leading up to these encounters that left him kind of physically worn out afterwards. Do you guys yeah. know other cases where this is a uh, uh, prominent? Not contactee cases like this. That, that none, none of the sort of classic contactee cases spring to mind as, as having things like this. And I, I think one of the, the ways that, that Angelucci described it, I think in some of the earliest, like the earliest account was that electricity was leaking out of his spine or something like that. Um, it's just some really evocative phrase. Um, usually, any physical sort of sensations I'm familiar with occur afterward. Um, and he did have some, you know, like you said, the exhaustion and everything afterward, but this sort of like, like sort of like, sort of like the, the aura that migraine sufferers can experience, right? So he sort of, you know, yeah. senses it coming on. Um, it's pretty unique from what I've seen. I, I, I would like to jump in if I, if I could, I think yeah. one of the things that's interesting to me is, um, because of the symptoms that contactees have, like I think a lot of the times we get lost in their descriptions of the symptoms because they they seem to not really understand what's happening to them because like or like Angelucci is like you said, having this electricity leak out of his spine. But then at the same time, there are some later references from like um, like Buck Nelson, like Buck Nelson talks about even like whatever you want to think about Buck Nelson and taking his dog to space. Like there, I look, I look for these real subtle things. And one of the things he talks about is that he got uh, nervous twitches up his back. 
right? Mm-hmm. Well, and so yeah. it's like it seems like they they have common experiences, but they don't express them in the same language, whether that's because of their upbringing or the the area that they're from. And when I talk to people who say that they have had some type of abduction experience. It's actually one of the things I look for is for them to say that they have like a twitching or their hair stood up on end or I got a nervous feeling or I felt a a sharp pain. Like uh, Because I also look for that when I'm dealing with people who have like interactions or supposed interactions with ghosts and like poltergeist phenomena. Right, right. I I gotta hop in real quick and say that it reminds me of uh, some of the side effects of a lot of psychedelic substances, you know, the, the, the come sure. up of LSD and stuff like that is exactly people would describe it as that as, you know, because it has uh, a lot of these have, uh, you know, part of amphetamine uh, molecules. So the, a lot of the effects, you know, especially in the onset of the experience for people is kind of twitching is, you know, kind of a tightening of the back of the spine. It, it's very similar. Yeah, and I, I think um, I think John's point about you know the same sort of um, effects, symptoms, you know, sensations uh, among I don't want to say sufferers, experiencers of of other types of para whatever activities. I think that's that's important. It's another one of those things that sort of remind us that these these experiences are not as as separately categorized as we sometimes think they are, or that we've been conditioned to think they are, right? Um, you, you can't keep the ghosts and the aliens in, in two separate boxes. It's, it's, there's a lot of similarities between those experiences. And a lot of times the sort of sensations, the, 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 the sort of precognition sort of sensations, I, I usually, when I think of those, I think of those in terms of sort of haunting type things rather than contactee type things. But that was a, a, a good a good thing you said about Buck Nelson and I'd forgotten about the, uh, the uh, Buck Nelson's stuff. I, I mostly just focus on his dog really. Right. Well, I mean, it's interesting too, right? Because when you mix in the, <laughs> the big dog, um, but uh, it is interesting when you mix in that stuff, because when I, you know, I, I deal because of television, I deal with a lot of people who think their houses are haunted and they're seeing ghosts or poltergeists or whatever like that. And it's interesting that we're talking about Angelucci because one of the things when you talk to ghost experiencers or people who think they're experiencing that type of phenomena, they talk about hearing music. And if I'm not incorrect, I think that uh, Angelucci heard music. Yes, yes, he did. Um, I'm trying to remember the song because it wasn't just like music. He's like he heard a specific a specific song. song yeah. Um, and it, oh, I can't I can't remember what it was, but I, I found a copy and I played it on the podcast episode sort of in the background and uh i i can't i can't remember oh I, this is this is embarrassing i mean i should know this um i can't remember what it was there was another one where, where some there, there was some when he was on the planet there was a choir of like children singing some stephen foster song right. or something like that it was like on, on the spaceship it was kind of a it was kind of a, a, a big big band era thing but but yeah, on the planet it was this Stephen Foster, and I had to find I had to find like a YouTube clip of some Chinese children's choir singing Stephen Foster, and I was like, I, I don't I don't think the Chinese will you know you know send a DMCA notice to my podcast about this, so I'll just use this. <laughs> but um, it was yeah, very. Why would you make that up? I'm not saying that right. he's truthful at everything, but of all the things to make up, that's weird. That's weird. Well, and that. That also sounds like a near-death experience. 
Yeah. Because I've heard of people who that's one of the things as they're, you know, as they arrive at wherever they're going through the tunnel um, is, uh, is music. Mm -hmm. So there you go. Uh, Again, it's hard to build senses between these, these various kinds of experiences because the symptoms bleed over. I, I think with some of the UFO sightings themselves, sometimes people will report music and that's a common, also, John, I think in common, some of the, like this more paranormal or, you know, ghost related things, people will go outside and they'll hear music coming from the sky. Then a folklore. Yeah. 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 And I, 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 I think it's for, for me at least, um, looking for those things. I, I don't, I, I kind of lost track of who said what, but, um, the idea that there are these little glimpses of why would you make something like that up? Like if you're trying to tell a story and you're trying to be taken seriously, it's always seemed to me as a researcher, like to not put in the most insane thing that no one right. would ever put in. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. 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 Although I, I just remembered what song it was on the spaceship. It was Fools Rush In. Right, which, right, that's right. That's right. Which is almost, right. it's almost a little too on the nose. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's yeah. entering this, this, this ig- igloo-like structure, and he's hearing the song. And it's it's those sorts of things that, you know, when, when you talk about sort of like the, the Nick Redfern approach to looking at this, which was, you know, clearly he was being messed with and, and chemicals involved and, you know, sort of MK ultra E type stuff um, that, I mean, honestly, if I were a government mind control stooge and I was messing with somebody, I would do stuff like that. It's like play, play fools rush in as he walks in, see if that freaks him out. You know, that's what I would do. Um, that doesn't say much good about me, but I would <laughs> absolutely mess with people like that if I was getting paid. And, yeah. um, you know, I, it's just one of those things. It's one of those details that, that just doesn't make, doesn't make well, sense it, in some ways. It, it might make sense. I mean, you know, Jung loved the case of Orfeo Angelou. Yes. He loved his Yes. Name. Orpheus, Angel Light. It was almost too perfect a case. And um, and the other thing about the Orfeo Angelucci case is that there were there were other witnesses to some of the phenomena, not not the the sort of humanoid figures that he met, but but in terms of lights and um, objects in the sky. In fact, in his book, The Secret of the Saucers. He actually calls out the name. And by the way, uh, where he was working was Lockheed. Okay. Um, yeah. Right. And, um, and he calls out the name. He literally lists. He's like, and so, you know, I began to feel weird. So I walked outside and I saw a weird, you know, group of lights in the sky. And, and, and then I called to my friends and these guys came out and they saw too. And now here are their names. And he then in his book lists like 10 people first and last name. And it's like, Oh my God, that would be amazing. And you know, I, I, I haven't gone the extra mile of trying to dig through who worked at Lockheed, by the way, right around this time, my grandfather worked at Lockheed at that exact same plant. Oh, wow. And I was, when I read the book, I, I got a little freaked out. I'm like, what if I actually see my grandfather's name as one of these people who knew him? But 
unfortunately, that didn't happen. But anyway, <laughs> the names are right here in the book. And he, at various points, he, he mentions, and, and here's this person's name, and you can go ask them if you don't believe me. Yeah, what if your grandpa dosed Starfield Angelucci, man? <laughs> <laughs> Well, since we're talking about that, and we talked a little bit about this with Redfern, I mean, the, this, um, where he encounters the man inside the diner, and they drop something in the drink, and Aaron, you actually played this on the show, you actually played this clip of actually, Serfiel actually has that album here, where that's taken oh, yeah. from, um, the Flying Saucer story, Long John Nebel. Right. But he, you know, he, he... Th- well, let's talk about what what happens there because I mean it's 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 it, it fits in a lot with the MK Ultra stuff. Yeah, it, it he he takes this this you know that this pill is dropped in the water and it it dissolves and it turns into a fizzy sort of ginger ale like drink and he drinks it and the the sort of effects or physical and psychological effects are just uh, are just astounding and. Um, it's not the only time he drinks this. He will, he will, once he visits the alien some more, he, it, it's, you know, it's, it's what they drink. So he drinks it again and again and again. And he sort of, I, it, you can sort of see he's kind of getting hooked on it, right? He, he's like, and then they gave me another one of those drinks and it was wonderful. Um, and you know, he sort of, sort of mentions, you know, reality sort of melting away and people looking different, you know, to Mm -hmm. him. As 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 he he you know digests this, and it really does seem like um, not just an intoxicant, but a you know hallucinogenic sort of thing. Um, it wasn't just like ah, I got kind of drowsy and I, I I talked too loud after I drank it. It was no, my perception changed. My perception of the world around me opened up and became better, and I got used to seeing the world this way. And and so he he keeps imbibing it, and there's this sense that this is the liquid that allows humans to fully interact with the realm of the uh, of the space people. So it's um it, it's it's a beverage, but also it's a it's a it's a doorway. Um, it, it opens the doors of perception to get all, you know, Huxley-ish. But um, yeah, it definitely <laughs> has that kind of that kind of vibe. So, the, the are those events described? It, it sounds like that's sort of covered in his second book, if I'm remembering. Correctly. Yeah, this the, sec- the second book gets weird. Um, it gets yeah. weird, but it also gets very confusing. There are a lot of character names that change, and you get the sense that he did not plan all this out before he wrote it, and it's it's very confusing. But there's 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 like he goes to a nightclub on uh, on Venus and and has a drink there, and and he's meeting like in the apartment where the aliens live, and he has a drink there, and it's it's very strange. There's there's something there, there's like a weird sort of sort of very sort of special charm to his initial stories um where he's he's driving like like you said richard he's driving and he sees these lights and he has this encounter and he hears the music and he goes in and he's seeing the people on the screen and then there's a a really kind of a, a disconnect between that and when he's on the planet and he's meeting people named neptune but uh you know neptune is is you know this other guy named Neptune, but I used to be Neptune, but now he's Neptune and he's Araya and she's Lyra, but she's not going to be Lyra for long because she's really Astra. You know, it's, it gets, it gets a little silly. Um, in the second book, uh, that, that was, 
I think, and I think the second book was the first thing of his I ever read. And that's why I just sort of left him alone for a long time. Cause I was like, this is, right. this is nuts. Um, is, the, but, is the second, is the second book secret of the saucers? Um, or is it's it son, son, called son, of, son the of the sons, son of the yeah. sun. Yeah. yeah. The first one is secret of the saucers. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah, but um, the, um, the fizzy drink is, um, in, in the second book, he's, he's chugging that quite often. Well, you know, I think he has a drink in his very first encounter in Griffith Park. Yes. They give him something. Yes, he, he does. That, that, that is definitely there in the first, in the first time. And that's sort of like the one where it's very much a, a, this is your sort of initiation into our world. And then in the, in, later on, it becomes more of just a beverage, but that first one is really sort of the transcendent one. And then later there's the one where he sees the woman dancing in it, yeah. in the drink. Yeah. Um, and, and so that, those are sort of the two really sort of key alien beverage moments. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, here it is. Yeah. Um, Oh, here, a drink from the crystal cup and you, uh, that you will find on the fender of your car or yep. Orfeo. This is when he was, in Griffith Park, and he says, uh, I glanced down and saw a kind of goblet on a car fender. It glistened in the soft light. Hesitantly, I lifted it to my lips and tasted the drink. It was the most delicious beverage I had ever tasted. I drained the cup. Mm-hmm. Even as I was drinking, a feeling of strength and well-being swept over me, and all of my unpleasant symptoms vanished. So there you go. It's kind of like soba. Yeah. Like Very a, much like a drink of the gods kind of yeah, thing. A lot of sacramental imagery. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. And now, did was that before that they showed up in suits afterwards, right? Because didn't they eventually show up at like yeah. coffee shops wearing yeah. fedoras and suits? Oh, he and he he saw Neptune, the guy he named Neptune, uh, in a bus station, dressed in a suit. In like a, not a space suit. Right, just a normal suit. suit. Yeah. Yeah, um, but what's interesting, well, I mean, so what are you guys thinking? I mean, are you kind of leaning toward this thing was was a, was sort of a, uh, an MK Ultra ish experiment from the very beginning? Or he was a contactee who they then, who was then targeted to see if, if, if it would be worth drugging a contactee to see what happens. I think that's Redford's take on it. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think I I, I agree that that's what Redford, Redfern thinks it is that, you know, he had some sort of experience and then that was exploited later on. Um, I'm not sure what, what I think. I think his initial, his initial encounter is, is kind of low key enough that it seems like, I mean, relatively low key on the contacting yeah. scale. Right. Um, but it, it's, it's low key enough that it, it, it's, it's got that, like I said, that sort of certain charm to it. There's, there's the, the drink and there's the lights and there's the screen and then there's the music and the sort of baptism that takes place. And he hears this, this music building to a crescendo. And that seems like a very, a very sort of genuine, experience and then later when he meets the guys in the suits and the fedora in the bus station and later in the restaurant that seems more it's got a different tone to it it's part of the same story but it's a little 
it's a little different. And I, I can see that. I can see where Redfern would would make the the sort of choice to say, okay, here is where afterwards this is when the interference by whoever begins because it, it really is a a different sort of experience. Even though he's yeah. low level though, I would say the initial connection to Lockheed is I mean it it raises suspicions with me automatically because Military he's like in a, in a pool yeah. of people yeah. who are already cataloged and psychologically profiled perhaps to, right. and, you know at the time with all the stuff going on. Yeah, that makes sense. That does make sense. Well, yeah, maybe, I guess, you know, he had had some experience back in New Jersey before he came out west, um, where he and a couple of people had seen something in the sky. And I don't know how much he talked about it. I mean, I don't. maybe that became known and, and therefore he could be targeted. But later when he was in Burbank and and was driving home and, and, and had the initial encounter, they told him, Remember what you saw back in New Jersey? That was yep. us. When when he you sent know, the yeah he it. sent balloons up with um with an experiment to to see if if it would be affected by the thing he saw in the sky. There was something he sent up like some like experiment with balloons, right. and they said Re- remember the balloons, Orfeo. And he would in the in the forties he would write back and forth with Linus Pauling about his about. Angelucci about Angelucci's theories about the nature of the universe and Paulding was like I don't have time to talk to you but Orfeo would <laughs> writing so um what I'm you know what I, I'm sort of so wondering he was on somebody's radar as yeah a, as a ripe target for mischief that's that's what I sort of that's what I sort of wonder I mean as, as you know he would become known to the military industrial complex, you know, through working with Lockheed, if, I mean, and I'm not sure what he did for Lockheed and I, I don't know how many, how many employees there were doing what he did and to what degree their life story was sort of cataloged by, uh, by the authorities. I mean, I, I think sometimes we have an impression that, that, that things were much more organized, um, yeah. than, yeah. than they might've been. Um, but, you know, it, it, he if he talked about his weird ideas to the right person or the wrong, the wrong person at the wrong time, um, he certainly could be, you know, passed along. Name could be passed along. You know, hey, do you have anybody who who we could talk to about this or that? Um, I mean, obviously, there's, there's a lot of a lot of speculation here, but you know, there's there's all these openings where something like this could have happened. But but isn't it hard to talk about Angelucci outside of the broader Southern California contactee movement? I mean, in other words, is it is it even a larger theory that that a that a number of these contactees were actually just MK Ultra esque pawns of some other? Th- I mean, it, it was so localized. I mean, it was like it was yeah. all here. Yeah, I think I, th- I think it could be possible. Um, I know that there was definitely a worry, and we talked about this with the Red Friend. I mean, there's definitely a worry with the contactee movement because a lot of what they espoused was very communistic, and the FBI was very concerned about him. And what kind of Red Friend kind of postulates that basically, if he was drugged at that incident at the diner, then he was drugged in a way to kind of make him 
talk or like use a possibility of using LSD yeah. as a as a truth serum or to change his mind. I mean, there's some proof that that's what happened with Frank Olson. Yes, yeah. that that's what they were trying to do when they when they drugged uh, drugged him with LSD. Um, of course, that was you know that was pure MK Ultra. Um, I, I would I would wonder if in some of the 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 contactee cases. If some of them could have been set up, because you know they're they're obviously dealing with people, human-like people, whether it's some kind of play acting, or whether it was just to try to get to to get something started and see what happened. I mean, I don't I don't know. That may be just giving too much credit to some of these guys because some of them were obviously charlatans, mm-hmm. but some of them weren't. I mean, I think some of them really like, and I think Angelucci was one of them had real profound experiences. And like with Olsen, though, there could be like a, if he raised this kind of, if, if there is some kind of organic element to it and he started talking about it, you know, they'd want to investigate it because especially if he's part of the military industrial complex already, you know, like who's this guy talking about flying saucers? We know some of the flying saucer guys are communists and he's working at like, yeah, that's, right, that's right. what I was, what I was going to say is, is that I think um, as far as the the wider context of of contactees being sort of sort of targets of these operations, I think some more than others. And I think Angelucci working in an aerospace plant, he's a, he. I mean, I have to imagine that there are some people who might have heard his weird ideas that he might have been taught because he talks about talking to his coworkers about oh, his yeah. experiences. Um, th- this yeah. guy's a security risk. Yeah, yeah. This this guy, who knows who he's talking to? And if you look at, I mean, I've looked at a lot of FBI files, especially about uh, George Adamski. And most of Adamski's FBI file, a lot of it is people writing to the FBI saying, I think this guy's a communist. And the FBI yeah. is sort of saying, we've right. got a lot of other things things to worry about like kidnappings and murders and actual spies he's a maybe he's a communist but nobody listens to him because he's a crazy flying saucer guy um so there's a lot of you know concern and their biggest concern with adamski is that he told people he worked for the fbi and and that they were (laughs) consulting with him and they were like no don't you can't tell people that sir you you, (laughs) professor you you really can't um so I, i think there was you know some communist communistic or at least pacifistic. I, I think anything pacifistic got sort of labeled as communistic at the time. Um, that was there. But I think when you have that and people who worked in areas that were sensitive, um, that draws extra scrutiny. And I think Angelucci draws that extra extra scrutiny. I think um, – oh, who was another one? I think Van Tassel had some connections that were you know, maybe a little bit more – you know, made him – possibly more of a um of somebody a person of interest in that way as for the the general southern california thing you know it's it's weird how that happens doesn't it that that sort of geographical concentration you got truman bethram and you've got adamski and you've got tassel and you've got you got angelucci and you've got um neil fry Daniel Fry, yeah, at White Sands, and you, you've got the guy who, um, who did, Max Miller, who uh, did yeah. the the big contactee convent or UFO convention that uh, that sort of introduced Angelucci to the world before any of this was was sort of in print and in, in magazine or or book form. Um, who brought you know the amazing Criswell in to be the MC of the the first flying saucer <laughs> convention, which is just perfect. Um, so you've got all this going on in Southern California, 
But at the same time, it's it's kind of unsurprising because in Southern California, you also had a long tradition of spiritualism going back to the yeah. late 19th century that was sort of hanging around there. And in a lot of ways, the, the contactee movement – more so than the rest of the flying saucer culture, you know, it has its roots in that that spiritualism as well. So there's that sort of California. Yeah, the dawn of aerospace in in uh, the Jack Parsons mythos. I mean, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, Marjorie Cameron, and she was there at the. She would go there to the to Giant Rock as well, and um, I, I wonder there too. I mean, you know, pre World War II and during World War II, the, there was also the IM Foundation. Yeah. And there was William Dudley Pelley and whatever was going yep. on there. The weird fascist mystical movement out there in the middle of the desert. <laughs> and yeah. know, so that, that had to have an influence on some of these guys post-World War II and into the 50s. Oh, yeah. Pelley absolutely was. Because uh, Pelley wasn't allowed to write about politics after he was let out of prison for sedition <laughs> uh, after <laughs> after the war. So he sort of turns to the spiritualist stuff and it, it connects with the UFOs. And he's got George Hunt Williamson in writing for his um, writing for his, his magazine, um, Valor. So um, but by that time, by that time, Pelley had moved to Noblesville, Indiana just north of Indianapolis. Um, nobody had wanted him on the West Coast anymore. So, um, but yeah, there's there's definitely this sort of confluence of of spiritualism and spiritualism and aerospace industry and and um, and and this is a a very vague, broad thing. But there's the West is where new things happen in the United States, and so it, it's. There's sort of a cultural frontier out in California as well, and I, I think the the UFO the, the UFO you know, phenomenon sort of getting its modern start there in on the West Coast is is sort of it's a very Western thing um, for this new phase of of pop culture to emerge there. Right. Right. Well, I think if I can add to that, I think yeah. you're right in the sense that when I think about the rise of new ideas and the new age movement or new thought movement, whatever you want to call it. And, and um, as people moved West, like, you know, there's always that joke about, you know, what happens when you get to the coast of California, there's nowhere further to go. And it seems like the reality behind that is you go to different places psychologically and mentally. And so you do have rises in, new thought movements and new spiritualist movements. Uh, you can kind of track uh, spiritual belief systems moving west. And then yes. once they get to the coast, they're blockaded by the ocean. And so they, they, you have to sit and internalize and think up uh, new ideas and new religions. And then all of a sudden it can filter back east again. I mean, if you just watch you know, uh, the American Psychical Society being in New York, and then the Fox Sisters are a little bit further west, and then uh, you know, Mormonism is taking hold in Indiana, and then it moves to Salt Lake City. And so you can see how belief systems moved one way, and then as soon as they got to the, the far coast, uh, you know, by that time, you're, you're talking about the 30s and 40s, and, and all of a sudden, now those ideas have to repopulate in a new way, and that, that's the creation of all these new ideas. Mm -hmm. Well, I think too, one of the things I wanted to jump in earlier, but I didn't, everybody was making such awesome points. I think the thing that's always interesting to me is I, we, we often think that like the government is working very cohesively and, 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 
And they always seem to have these giant, great plans that everybody in, is understanding. And I, I feel like sometimes with the contactees, it was like, well, we're going to do this stuff with these guys because they might be communists. But then what happens if we pick random people out of the United States and just start screwing with them immediately and whether or not they believe in anything? And let's watch how that information uh, unwinds. And I feel like it's pretty much like, here's the general idea, everybody, now go to it. And it's individual cells all saying like, well, what should we do to this guy who has nothing experience? And should we treat him differently than the guy who works at White Sands Missile Testing Ground? And let's pick this baker out of Michigan and this uh, crazy old guy living in the Ozark Mountains and, and give them similar experiences, see if they can draw a crowd, see if they can get people to them. Yeah, that's that's a good point. And and also, you know, sort of that that this idea that that not everybody's talking to each other in the government. You've got the FBI worried about counterintelligence and Soviet infiltration. You've got one part of the CIA also worrying about that but being quiet because it's really the FBI's job, but they're doing it too without telling anybody. And then you've got another part of the CIA who's doing MK Ultra stuff. So you've got – none of whom are probably talking to each other because none of the other groups have a need to know what the other groups are doing, right? Everything's right. very compartmentalized. So you do have these these different agendas all going on at the same time. And I, I'm imagining – you know. What if if our little scenario that we've been concocting here is is at all correct? Having you know some guy in the, the MK Ultra office walk in and say that that Bethram guy is he one of ours? I don't remember right. him. <laughs> you know who who's is he? I was like I don't know. Maybe he, maybe it maybe it's real for him. Um, who's Aura Reigns? Is she a Soviet? What's going on? Look her up. Um, so but yeah, it, it's it's. But even the, you mentioned, I think, I think it was you, Aaron, that mentioned, you know, and you, when you said it, it popped into my head and then flew out for a second. But, you know, again, I, I do love, I have this crazy of, of, of love of, of Buck Nelson. Uh, but the thing is, is, you know, when he's coming back from Washington, D.C., he sees an alien, too, dressed in a business suit with a fedora at a bus station. Yeah. Oh, weird. Wait, yeah. That's like exactly like Angelucci. Yeah. That's weird. Mm-hmm. Makes you think, doesn't it? Uh, that's that. So it's like their it's, yeah. it's like it's like their play it's like their playbook. Right, right. But I, I think you, not to maybe it's not MK Ultra, but maybe it's something else, and maybe like not to like you know not to we shouldn't downplay the role of like psychological warfare operations that could be used as like maybe that's being used as a test ground for some kind of psycho, psychological warfare operation as well. That a possibility. Yeah, I. I, but, so, I but it's. Uh, I was just going to say so, but but it sounds like we're kind of, we're saying that these these government you know people, like they're kind of behind. In other words, the the phenomenon occurs. Someone has an experience, and then in the wake of that come these these other people, these provocateurs, who then try to manipulate something that's already there or are we saying no no they are finding people and drugging them and originating the experiences i think yeah. it's the former not the latter well, is that correct it's a constant chicken the egg it's the same thing it's back and forth you know what is this organic experience and then something like that happens or is this engineered and does engineering even create some organic experiences sometimes i mean it's, well i'll throw this out there right is it a possibility that 
they are giving these government people or whatever they are are giving the people these drugs and then they're having these guys are actually having real profound experiences that yeah, are actually yeah. really affecting them Why not? and maybe through that altered state of consciousness they are actually are accessing some kind of intelligence i i think i think it's I mean, I, I was talking about this on Twitter with someone today. I think that one of the difficulties that all of us get in when we're studying something is we say, like, it's either A, B, or C, when the reality is, is like, it's A with some B in it, and B with some C in it, and C and A, and there's an E in there every now and then. Like, I have always assumed that, <laughs> like, I have always assumed that it's some type of combinatorial system. Uh, one of the things that oh, really, I know we've been talking about Orfeo and I keep talking about Buck and I'm sorry, <laughs> but like in Buck's tiny little dumb book about going to Mars and Venus with his dog, like he draws a clock that the, and he says in there, like I saw the clock and it had 17 hours on it because the sun rose and, and set 17 times. And so like when I first read that book, the first thing I wanted to do was find out which planet had 17 sunrises and sunsets. And there's no planet that has 17 right. sunrises and sunsets. It's only been since we've had manned space satellites do we realize that in the speed a space satellite has to go, it sees 17 sunrises and 17 sunsets a day. So that clock makes sense for being like a high Earth orbit. Hmm. But, how would, but how would Buck Nelson have ever known that? Huh. Right. That, yeah. Wow. Uh, now I'm freaked out. Um, <laughs> That's a possibility. I mean, it's a possibility of tapping into something. Right. You know, I, and I, I like that idea of, of the uh, uh, combinatory system, um, the, the A and B and, and B and C, because I, I think it's, it's like there's this, there's this zone, right? And people are accessing this zone and how that zone appears to them and the experiences they have are going to be different because it's filtered through their through their perceptions. And so for some people, it's this, this contactee thing. And for others, it's more of a channeled thing. And for, for still others, it's, you know, a, a poltergeist or a haunting or an abduction scenario. And, and, you know, it, it's all from the same sort of, sort of area of stuff and other that's out there. And, um, and it, it gets even more complicated once these stories begin circulating, because then you've got the sort of second generation mm -hmm. of things where you've got this additional layer of filters from the culture that have that have moved in. And then, you know, so you're, you know, once you're the third guy down the line channeling Ashtar, what are you actually doing? You know, how yeah. much of that is you accessing whatever's out there and how much of that is you accessing something and then imposing a whole lot of what you want to experience onto that as well because you know ashtar is money yeah. so you want to be accessing ashtar right so it's it's very difficult you know if this is some sort of you know either zone of other stuff or layer of collective unconscious that some people are able to or a layer of the collective unconscious that is actively reaching out toward us which is kind of weird but and, um and and you add to that layer just straight up fakers and hoaxers. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, which you're always going to get. Right. Yeah. All of a sudden you've got, you know, you have these people who have these really weird unsolvable that we're still talking about them, you know, all these years later, but then you have people like Prince Newsom show up and he's been killed eight times by the men in black. And, uh, like just the most ridiculous story in the entire world. And you know that it's just made up. Right. 
Right. Are they beheaded? Uh, are they uh, killed an alien after it killed it killed their dog? <laughs> oh, we met that yeah. guy. I, yeah, and all of a sudden into the 90s, you've got an alien burrito. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Uh, well, see, yeah. so so I want I do want to say that I do think that some of these guys, and I think Orfeo Angelucci is definitely one of them, actually had these real experiences. They actually had something real happen to them, and Angelucci is interesting. Unlike, I don't think any of the other contactees said this. Angelucci later on said that there was a lot more going on. Then he was being taken by some physical spacecraft to some physical place. Yeah, he um, he, he really does sort of sort of go with this, this sort of like this is how I perceived it, but it's not as literal as I had to make it sound to make it comprehensible. Um, and and another thing yeah. that I that I like about Angelucci, and I, I think one of my favorite things about it is that. His story starts off with with this sort of self-published magazine called the 20th Century News, and then it's retold in Mystic Magazine, and then it's retold again um, in between that at the big convention that Max Miller does, and then finally in Secret of the Saucers, and that story does not really change. Mm-hmm. There is a remarkable consistency to it. You can tell that that the the magazine guys and that Ray Palmer, you can tell that they have embellished, they've added, they've polished, but but the basics are still there. The basic sort of weirdness of it is still there. And I, I think I don't think there's another contactee um, from this very early period where you can see the different stages of the story. And how how the narrative developed from one sort of publication or format to the next, where you can see that sort of consistency, and I, I think that is 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 significant. Uh, Richard, do you have anything to add to that? Because I know you know Angelucci is you are fascinated by him, and well, I, I know that that of the Southern California contact contactees, he was in some ways considered to be the most sincere, but I, I think that had a lot to do with the fact that he never tried to provide any physical proof of it's, it's like the, the minute things get too literal, they become less believable. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. you know, he never, and I don't know. I mean, in the cases of, you know, some of these other guys, I, you know, sometimes it's it's that thing where you it's like, well, this stuff happened, but no one believes me. They require more proof, so now I have to manufacture proof so that they'll believe the first thing I said. But pretty soon they're going to realize that this proof I've provided is bullshit, and then that's going to put me in an even worse position. It's that sort of weird, you know. You, you, you know, some psychic mediums fake some of the phenomenon to kind of get it going, but then real stuff happens. But then when that drops off, they they decide they need to start faking again. Or it, 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 that's one of the most puzzling parts is the is the need to fake evidence to make someone believe in the original story that had no evidence. Well, that's that's one of the things that my lectures like. 
that I say I've said pretty consistently for 30 years is I, I tell the crowd at some point, like, your paranormal, supernatural, ufological experience, the one that you've had, is enough. Um, it, you don't have to be abducted every week. You don't have to. You don't have to have poltergeist. You don't have to have poltergeist throwing glasses around your house every other weekend for your original, real experience to be enough. It's enough, and you do a disservice to everyone by making it more than it is. Uh, because you discredit the kind of beauty and high strangeness of the original experience. But people get fed up. I mean, I, I do this, I, I have that the, the podcast that I do, which is Realm of the Weird, and people are always like, do more episodes. And I'm like, I can't, because they're based on real stuff, and I've told the 13 weirdest stories I have, and that's all there is. <laughs> yeah. And they're, yeah. Like, yeah. Make up, they're like, make up more, we like them. And I'm like, I don't want to make up more. They're not made up, they're real stories. Yeah. And... and I'm trying to stay true to myself and give those real stories the the proper respect they deserve. And I just feel like a lot of people in this day and age, especially, they have to one up their own experience. Well, you know, and, and, I, and I totally get that. And I think we've seen that. But I wonder if there's that sort of the, the need projected outward. Is there, is there another need, do you think, John? projected inward that a person has a transcendent experience, an anomalous experience that affects them in a particular way that makes them feel a particular thing. Let's say it makes them feel special or like, wow, I really like this. And, and on an interior level, they want it to happen again. They, they, they want to fall in love again. They don't want it to just be that one weekend yeah. at Niagara Falls. And so they, they start to do stuff hoping that, well, maybe if I just do some stuff, this, the spirits, the UFOs, they'll come back to me and I'll have one more transcendent experience. Do you think that plays into it? I do. I do. But, you know, I, I, again, I think that something has happened uh, culturally, perhaps, in the, in the past few decades. I mean, throughout all of history, whether no matter what religious belief or spiritual belief system people have held, um, you know, we talk about the long, dark night of the soul. Like, there, there, you are going to have a transformational experience at some point in your life. No one knows when it's going to happen, but will happen. And for a very long period of time, that one long, dark night of the soul was enough of an experience. But now it's like, since you can post 100 photographs and every single thing you think on the internet, that one experience has lost its beauty. And the, I have, you know, I've had, I've had a lot of weird experiences, and I obviously quest for more of them, but I allow them to not happen if they're not going to. Well, if it becomes such a central part of your identity, then, you know, you're just going to be talking about the same story over and over again. People might start making up yeah. other ones. I think a good case of this is the guy, I keep forgetting his name, but there was a documentary about him that was put out a couple of years ago. The one that said he saw the alien in his window and he had the film of oh. it. Um, Stan Romanek, Romanek yeah, Stan and he's, Romanek. he's yeah. a perfect example of this. Yikes! Because I, I, <laughs> I honestly think, I mean, yeah, yeah, he's very problematic, yeah. But but Romanek, I mean, I think that something did happen to him. Something happened. Something, some personal experience happened, and he became this celebrity, and so he had this constant pressure to perform. Yeah, yeah. and that's what this stuff became. 
was just this constant pressure to put out more and more material to his legions of fans and the, the and economy it started of it too. to you're, get you're ridiculous touring, you're doing you know you're talking at conventions doing all this stuff right. where you can do the same shtick yeah. over and over again it's like a comedian you know you can have the same stuff over and over again you're gonna eventually want some fresh material i think the fame went to his head too i think that's what started to happen just like the attention that he was getting probably from women I mostly s- i see i see it happen <laughs> all the time in paranormal reality shows oh I yeah mean, in, yeah. Because because something has to happen on those shows, right? And I've one of the reasons that I've gotten into so many fights with network heads is because it's way more interesting to me. Like uh, I filmed this one show that was on, and we did six episodes, but we actually filmed eight because there were two episodes where nothing happened, and they didn't want to show them. And my argument was, you have to show people that nothing happens sometimes, or everyone's going to think everything is fake. And they were like. People don't think that far ahead. Uh, people want to be shocked. They want entertainment. They don't want to watch nothing happen. And I was like, there are a huge group of people who want to see nothing happen. They want to see you go through the experience and have nothing happen because they, they do it themselves and nothing happens. Yeah. Well, and not yeah. only that, but, but now you're teaching, you're teaching viewers and you're teaching a culture what to expect. And, and what they expect are... Certain people will deliver every time on the supernatural promise and premise. And, and, and what, what your approach was, was no, we should actually be letting people know it, it doesn't always happen. And, and in a way, sort of retrain an audience, which is anyone who consumes mm-hmm. someone else's story yep. of a thing that happened. Uh, in, in, into understanding it in a more realistic way. Well, then it becomes like these people are gifted. They're especially connected. This doesn't happen to normal people. Right. I went on five ghost hunts and saw nothing. What's wrong with what's what's wrong with the people I went ghost yeah. hunting with? Idiots. You know? <laughs> listen, so listen. So I don't I don't, I don't know why I, I don't know why I need to tell this, but I think it's pretty funny. Uh, just really quick sure. before we move away yeah, sure. before we move away before we move away from it. Um, so we're all well aware of the problems that Stan Romanek has encountered, yes. right? Yes. yes. I'm sure your listeners can look it up and find that as well. Yeah. But a couple of years ago when his problems were starting, I was doing an event in Colorado and I was standing out front and I was smoking a cigarette after my lecture and I literally heard someone go pss, pss, from around a corner and I looked and it was Stan and he was like, <laughs> Hey, John. And I was like, what are you doing here? And he came over and started talking to me. And I was like, you got to get the hell away from me. There are 150 people here with cameras. And I do not want to be photographed standing here talking to you, looking like I'm hiding around the corner of a hotel with Stan Romanek. It's like like not wanting to get in a picture with the mafia boss or something. Uh-huh. Yeah. It, was, it was a very odd, strange, uh, wow. silly time. Wow. Well, I loved how they justified it. And of course, he went off to the conspiracy deep end, right? Because Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They took over his computer and yeah. put a whole bunch of stuff on his Even computer. Even though there were flash drives that had it on it scattered around his house. But, yeah. you mm-hmm. know, that's the part that doesn't get <laughs> doesn't get said in that documentary. And so, But he just decided, well, you know, that's the government because they want to shut me down, man. They're coming after me and they're going to shut me down and they don't want you to know the truth of the alien presence on Earth. And it just... Out of control. Oh. Because you can say that because of these past histories that yep. we're talking about. Like right. yep. like 
or like that's an easy way to get out of your lie is to just say the government is screwing with me. I mean, every time you do a podcast or a radio interview and, and the audio screws up, everybody tropishly laughs and says the government did it. You know? Yeah, we do that yeah. all the time. Yeah, yeah we yeah. yeah. <laughs> Aaron was on one. I think the last time Aaron was on here, that yeah, happened. The, the, yeah. the power yeah. outage. Ha- the, power outage. That was absolutely. It was harp. You know, it was harp. <laughs> yeah. Harp. No one talks <laughs> about harp anymore, do they? <laughs> no. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Oh, no, it's it's one that of those much, very... Much, uh, hundreds of hours I wasted reading about Harp. <laughs> Sucker. I said yeah. today on Twitter, I was being real honest. I said today on Twitter, you know, like, honestly, how many of my friends I told back in the 1980s that there was a face on Mars? Like, <laughs> the books, the, the VHS tapes, the hours I devoted to this face on Mars, that at some point I had to... And, and good for me, but at some point I had to go back to all my friends and apologize and just be like, I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Thank you, Richard I, C. Hoagland. Yeah, I, uh, I, was, I was the UFO guy in college, and our, our history club brought David Jacobs onto campus uh, right after his second book, The Threat, was published. And, and he, he talked, and he did his, his abduction thing, and afterwards my friends just who who thought the ufo thing was kind of sort of cool before they just like just mocked me with all the logical problems with david jacobs presentation like guys i know i know i know okay i know (laughs) since we're talking about we've talked about the contactees i mean i i I liked having him on the show the couple of times that i had him on but it's like one of the things that kind of drives me crazy about him is that he will come up with this whole like theory about how we're being replaced by hybrids and the aliens are coming and you know like but but when you talk to him about the contactees he says oh those guys were just charlatans they were just idiots they didn't they had nothing you know that you know it's, it's like <laughs> had, what is I going had dinner on with here them in college yeah. yeah i had dinner with them in college and i was one of the students allowed to have dinner with them and i said what do you think about the contactees because I'm, I'm really into to george adamski oh they were all frauds they were, yeah. just, they were just frauds right and i'm like i'm out you know sorry yeah, yeah. very dismissive very um and you know he wrote 
the that you know the UFO controversy in America, like the first like book written by an actual historian about the UFO phenomenon in American history, and and it's it's all just sort of nightcappy stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like there were these sightings, and this organization did this, then the Air Force did this, and like the contactees are like a half a chapter at most, and it's all very dismissive, and it, it's sort of just like in a, a sort of like writing my writing side of things I, that's sort of like the the sort of you know wall been hammering against it's like come on historians can look at this it's not just religious scholars who can look at contact these guys come on please pay attention so yeah it, it's you know they they get short shrift from um a lot of coroners even even still that's interesting to well, me too know, go ahead richard i was just gonna say you know the old saying you know uh it's not enough that your aliens be real. All your friends' aliens must be fake. Yes. Yes. Good point. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, uh, I have always thought it's interesting people who tell what seem to be wildly crazy stories who will not believe other people's wildly crazy stories. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Right, exactly. Yes. Well, yes. speaking of wildly crazy stories, let's switch to the Kelly Hopkinsville goblins. <laughs> That's that's not crazy. That's just scary. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is what I mean. It's always this is this has always intrigued me. I mean, I'm sure all your listeners know the basic premise behind the case, but uh, 1955, uh, a family and a whole group of people have. I'm summarizing it very quickly. Uh, goblins, UFO, aliens, something hopping around their property <laughs> that they fight off that they fight off in a shotgun battle. Yeah. That's the long and, and short. Somebody gets their hair pulled. Yes. And someone gets their hair pulled. Yeah. Yes. And and they're they're strange. I mean, they get they get hit with the shotgun blast and they they're knocked over, but they aren't affected. Um if you shoot them and they're in a tree, um, they sort of float down like a feather. Like a, like a very strange sort of like defying gravity sort of thing. Um they they go away, you know, the 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 you know, we say family, but the family, extended family collection of assorted carnies who are staying with them, you know, they hightail it to the police station. All the cops come, sheriffs, police, state police, MPs from Fort Campbell down the road. They all show up. There's no creatures there. Authorities leave. Creatures come back for a few hours. <laughs> and and the, the story about after all the cops are gone um, – the uh, the the woman who's sort of the the mother of the family. She goes into her bedroom. She's gonna she's gonna go to sleep, and she looks over, and one of them is just staring in through her bedroom window, and and then it all starts up again until about five in the morning, and it's it's just a a strange, wild story because, um, you know there was you know this is you know it's fifty five. It, it's seven, what, Eight years after the the UFO thing begins, and there was they did si- see a a something streak across the sky and and go down into a gully. There were other witnesses. I think there was a cop um, at sort of on the way between the town, between Hopkinsville and the little sort of wide spot in the road Kelly, where the Sutton family was, who saw something go over at you know, the same time. Um, so it, it technically is kind of a UFO thing. Um, although UFO people have tended to be like, no, this is like a cryptid thing. We don't want it. Um, and cryptid people are like, well, there's something in the sky, so it's not ours. Uh, so, you know, 
but it, it's just it, it's so it's so weird because by this point people are very skeptical and the family comes under a lot of attack and a lot of ridicule and a lot of criticism and one of the reasons for that is the next day and the, the day or two after there are a whole bunch of people just sort of roaming around looking at the property wanting to see what they can see and so the suttons put up signs charging admission and charging ten dollars to take pictures and that convinces everybody that oh they're just trying to make money off this thing it's a big scam the sutton story is that was the only way to get people to go away is to say nope you are going to charge you money to be here so you know they they made no money off it they they lost privacy they they were ridiculed um there there was really no upside for them to make up this story um and so, and yeah. and also, I mean, one of the things too. Not only did they lose money and and were ridiculed, uh, they had to do some fairly, for I mean, at that time, fifty five, some fairly extensive repairs to their house. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they they shot holes through the through the walls and the screen door, and um, uh, it was being sieged, right? Yeah, and and you know, there was you know the the shot. Shotgun, 20-gauge shotgun through the screen door. Um, there were, you know, there were pictures of it, and it left a sort of squarish hole. And and skeptics said, well, that's about the size of the tobacco stakes they use here on the tobacco farm. On uh, on Twitter, um, Doctor Atlantis, who does I think it's the Monster Talk podcast, yeah. Um, yeah. put a picture up, and and he said he hasn't posted the video yet, but he did this experiment, and no, a shotgun shell will blow a squared off hole through a screen yeah. door because anything going through a screen door is going to have a squarish hole because it's all squares um, <laughs> to make a round to make a round hole right. in a screen that. I mean that's that's precision work to cut a round hole in a screen that's made up of right angles, right? Um, so the sort of it was a tobacco steak. No, no, it wasn't. But now I I need to go um, do this experiment off to the Chizo Media Ballistics Lab to yeah, uh, to do go. this do this myself. I'm I'm sure the local range won't mind me bringing a screen door. In. Hard science. Hard and, science. And the the other thing that I thought was interesting too, and I've always thought is interesting about Kelly's uh, the Hopkinsville Goblins is it's not one or two or three it's 10 or 12 or 15 like that has always been fascinating to me well, that's the yeah. idea of goblins it's that's what you think of when you think of goblins. yeah, yeah. They, they multiply and it, it's interesting because the news reports you know all said like you know 9 12 15 and then isabel watkins's report from her interviews a year later said you know it probably wasn't that but the thing is they were moving so fast they couldn't count them accurately right so that's the other creepy thing is, is that you know either there's more than a dozen of these guys or you don't know how many there are because they move faster than you can keep track of especially in the dark um it's 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 weird it's i mean weird I, I, I mean i guess we all really should just step back and take joe nichols word that they were drunk and attacked by an owl uh, oh, Joe, right. Joe Nickel. <laughs> Joe Nickel. Joe Nickel. Well, I mean, you, you know, th- think about it for a second. And I, I, I always like because that's always the first joke that gets made. You know, how many drinks were you having? But I'll admit I've had a few drinks in my lifetime and I've experienced the effects of alcohol. Is hallucinating really a sign of common everyday drunkenness <laughs> right and the times i've been drunk i don't think i've really seen entire 
beings that weren't there. Like the other drugs, right? Do that. But I mean, yeah. But that, that always strikes me as weird. That it's like, oh, you were drunk. It's like, no, <laughs> when you get drunk, you, you maybe you puke or you stagger or you fall asleep. But you don't. I, I mean, you don't do see you goblins. See no, I, I agree. And here's the thing: if you're drinking so much that you're seeing strange creatures and you are firing <laughs> guns off from inside of the house. To the outside with children in the house, <laughs> you are somebody who would be known to the police in the area. Yeah. That you would well, you would I have know. a record. And they would know, okay, we're not going out there. Oh my gosh, we're going out there to arrest these drunken hillbillies because they're at it again. But it's not like that. These people didn't have that reputation. Um be, so yeah, it, it just doesn't make yeah. any sense. And then and then the, the owl thing always confuses me because if you're if you're saying that what they saw were were a breed of owl common to the area. Well, then hadn't they already seen them? They lived there. They right. lived there their whole lives. Aren't people typically familiar? If I see a raccoon in the street or a coyote or a skunk or a possum, I see those things all the time in Pasadena. I know exactly what they are, and I don't spend four hours battling them <laughs> because I know right. they are. Yeah. It's like somebody in it's if, like somebody if, if in the Midwest the area that everyone knows what the fuck they are and everyone goes yeah those are those owls that we see literally every night year after year our entire lives <laughs> exactly it'd be like if I if I was driving around and and you know I saw this weird creature with sticks growing out of its head that almost ran into my car oh my god what was it it was a fucking deer you know because <laughs> it's November in Michigan you know it, or it's it's summer in Kentucky or it's you know 12 months out of the year in California. California with your, you know, raccoons and, you know, yeah, it, yeah, it's, that's a really good point. You know, this is, these were common to the area. Well, you know, farmers know the wildlife. Well, right. So, I mean, if yeah. it was me, if I was driving, if I was taking a cross country trip and I was driving to an area I'd never been in and I saw something that I didn't recognize and someone said, Oh, you're driving through an area where there are many, many great horned owls then maybe you can piece together something, but they were natives. So yeah, live in the natural environment. You know, what's there. And that's, uh, and that's the thing that's, that's, I mean, what, what we're saying is, is the most confounding thing of all is that you take people who have an experience in a situation and in a location for which they are familiar and you introduce investigators who are not in, are not familiar with the situation or the location or the area and did not have the encounter. And we trust those people to make the decide decision on what actually happened. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but you know, exactly. but I, I think socially, obviously I'm going to say the obvious skeptics perform a function for a large group of people, which is you can stop thinking about it now. It's okay. Right. Yeah. It right. was, you know, swamp gas or a meteor or an owl. And, and I'm, I'm sort of a scientist. And um, so it's okay. Everyone go back about your business. And for many, many people, that's what they want. People like us, that isn't what we want. We want to go a little deeper and think about it a little bit longer. But that's what allows a lot of people to go to sleep at night is the notion that, well, 
you know, Penn Jillette said it was all bullshit. <laughs> I do find it interesting that owls are put up as as an explanation for some of these cases. I think was it Mothman? Was it an owl or a crane? Yeah, uh, Sandhill Crane. It was yeah. a crane. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but there crane. but there were some people who had uh, Mothman as being like big hoot. Yeah, right yeah. instead uh, of Bigfoot. Yep. Yeah. I do find that interesting that that's there when you've got the screen memory aspect, and then you know, I guess I'm sure y'all you guys are familiar with Mike Clellan's work, oh yeah, owls yeah. and their symbolism and all that. So I find that interesting that that's used to debunk the cases is also owls. And then I, I have been attacked by an owl, so you will know if you have been <laughs> attacked by an owl. <laughs> but I, you know what? I for the, when the owl thing comes up, sometimes one of the things that I I discuss that I don't hear a lot of people talking about is that. Like we are a product of an evolved species, right? True, and we true. did evolve and we did evolve from these tiny little mammalian mice that could hide underneath the ground and after, you know, it started to get cold. And so somewhere in us, there is a memory of fearing this silent giant eyed thing that can swoop out of the sky and disappear you. Uh, because I'm sure that that's part of our evolved consciousness. Oh, yeah. You know, the, the Thunderbird stuff, that mythology. Too. Oh, yeah. 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 And and just, I've just, I mean, if nobody out there has done a Google image search on an owl skull, it, it is the most frightening thing. Uh-huh. You have, <laughs> yeah. It does not look like anything from this earth. It, it's yeah. it's just, I mean, it's it's an amazing bit of biology, but lordy. It's, <laughs> but I, I agree, too, with that whole skeptics provide people the ability to say, okay, you don't have to to think about this anymore because you know when i started to get into ufos in the 80s like and then i would read you know skeptical inquirer just whatever was out there because i was just reading any magazine that had a ufo on the front of it um but i always thought it was interesting how many ufos were written off as ball lightning and it's a way to stop thinking about it mm-hmm. because then once you know the internet starts coming around i start looking for pictures and videos of ball lightning and there's barely any you know what I mean? And it's like, oh, so you're going to replace this phenomena, which does seem to have a scientific explanation, but we don't really ever see it happen with this other thing that doesn't really happen for which we have no scientific explanation for. Yeah, for the people who do speculate, then uh, like you were talking about, Aaron, uh, you have some of these most interesting cases where they kind of play the, the cryptozoology people and the UFO people kind of play hot potato with the stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's, yeah. that's some of the most interesting cases, right? Yeah, you've got you've got the the Kelly Hopkinsville thing. You've got Mothman. You, you've got um, oh, there's there's, there's some uh, pardon. I was just going to say there's so many. It's, it's I always yell that the tentacles that people decide to investigate cryptozoology, cryptozoology conspiracy theory, uh, aliens and ghosts. Like those are tentacles of what seems to be an octopus and people have lost sight of the octopus because they're so involved with the tentacle. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. Um, I, I reread, um, Mac Tony's, uh, crypto terrestrials book and he's got a a great story that I always remember uh, the example of, um, of, uh, messing around with his cat with a laser pointer 
and the, the, the cat is focused on the red dot and the, the cat doesn't care about what's generating the red dot and us being focused on UFOs or, or this creature or that creature or this haunting. It's just a red dot. You know, what, what's generating that? Where is it coming from? We don't focus on that source. Um, and I, I think a lot of these things have, have the same source. I, I like that, that tentacles of the octopus illustration. Let's call that Tenny's octopus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's nice. But it's—I'll tell you—a a, a friend, a friend of mine who is a MUFON director. He was uh, sitting in on a call. Uh, this is maybe ten years ago or so, and and on the call, the one of the, the national directors was like, "Okay, we're not going to take on any more Bigfoot cases, and uh, we just don't want to go down that road." And so my friend's question to the group on the phone call was, "So if someone sees a UFO?" And a creature covered in hair gets out of the UFO. <laughs> do we report? Do we report that or not? And the guy from MUFON told him, "You report the UFO." Uh, yeah, uh, that's, that's it right uh, there. God, yeah. MUFON yep. sucks. Yep, because it's because it's oh my god, because it's too weird. Because you've just got this woo factor with Bigfoot, and you don't you MUFON trying to be like scientific as they are, but. You know they still have, you know, you know, Martian super soldiers and Jay Z Knight. You know, part of their. Uh, I was just going to say Jay Z Knight. Yeah, <laughs> part of their uh, their their conferences, but that's you know it it, it, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, it, it's all about alien of, um, spaceships, and that's it. Um, uh, can I can I jump in here and ask yeah. you guys a question sure. about um, cases you've heard of or investigated or know about um and, and it's slightly changing the subject but maybe kind of also getting it back around to um you know halloween and you know horror movies and you know ghosts but um you know just recently i've been reflecting on something that whitley streber talks about a lot which is the, the um people who see ufos and ufo occupants who then also see um their dead relatives or mm-hmm. what appear to be people they know who have died and and I know that that a big part of you know what the work he was doing with his wife Ann Streber and and there was this they really linked those two things they really said what this, this all has to do with what happens after we die and and they said they got thousands of letters from people who said I saw a UFO and part of what I saw was not a Bigfoot creature but but was a dead relative mm-hmm. and and I found that so fascinating but then when I thought about it I thought I have not heard that a lot in other places, but I was wondering if you guys had. Well, let me say real quick, just say that that's also part of fairy lore. Yeah. Dead relatives show up in fairy lore. A lot. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. But I mean, do you guys just, in, in hearing random, or, or, or do you know of other famous cases or other things where people commonly, because there's so many common yeah. elements. We, do, we just talked to uh, the filmmaker, Alan, Alan, Alan Stevelman. Yeah, that's yeah, right. The About uh, Witness of Another World, which I highly recommend, is a great documentary. Um, he talked about this. Um, it's a young boy at the time, in 1978, in Argentina. He was 12 years old, and he had this encounter with um, a very high strangeness case with a craft and people inside the craft. And uh, part of his experience was seeing his deceased grandfather. I think that was in the when when he later had a oh, the hypnosis hypnosis right. 
session right. to really explore what he could remember from it. Yeah. Then it turned into this ghostly encounter. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, would you say that's one of the top symptoms or associated things that people talk about when they talk about UFO encounters or close encounters of the third kind, I guess? Is that like I, way toward the top of the list or what do you think? I'll, I'll tell you my experience. So when I was writing for Unsolved back in the early 90s, when we would do, um, whether it be like demonic possession cases or uh, horrible experiences from people having weird, strange ghosts in their house and stuff like that, uh, as soon as the X-Files hit really hard, all of those cases became alien abductions. Uh, it was the exact same experiences that people were having. Uh, they would talk about being obviously like the death experience. They'd be in a tunnel that was brightly illuminated. They would have the feeling of being around their loved ones. Uh, but it went from being a near death experience or a possession case to an alien abduction case, even though the experiences were exactly the same. I mean, we had that conversation. We would say, are, are we going to cover this as an, an abduction or are we going to cover this as like a, a ghost thing? I, w I was going to say yeah. something along the same lines that, that I, I think, you know, I've heard the same things you have from from Strieber about the, the you know, the dead relatives showing up. And I I sort of wonder if in a different time and if those people had been looking at different things and reading different books, if they would have described them as ghost encounters or hauntings rather than abduction experiences or alien encounters, um, same basic phenomenon, but filtered through a different, a different perception. Um, and, and I think that that point that, that John made about the, the X files sort of, you know, this paradigm shift of, well, you know, uh, clearly I was abducted, you know, um, because right. isn't that what everything is? Um, I, I think that I think I because I mean, when you look back, I'm trying to think back to all the sort of sighting reports and stuff I've read over the years and, and the dead relatives thing, even in a lot of abduction cases, at least the more well publicized ones, it doesn't I mean, it doesn't strike me as one of the things that's that's been you know, at the top of the list, I think it's been there, but, um, most of where I've heard about it is from, is from Streber, which doesn't, you know, diminish it, but it's, um, I don't think it's, it's as common in the generic sort of UFO right. encounter world. Right. But I'm sorry. I was just going to say like, not as common for instance, as the medical examination right. element, right? Which, comes up a lot. However, then it, then it brings up the notion that perhaps people do self-edit and feel yeah. like, well, look, I, 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 am I telling a ghost story or am I telling a UFO story? Well, and what is the medical theme having to do with but mortality? Well, before, before the, we jump into the medical thing, I just want to say, I think what's interesting is I do think that people self-edit, especially the, perhaps the early contactees, because when we talk about are we telling a ghost story or are we telling a UFO story back those early contactees, they were telling UFO stories, but they were telling heaven stories. Right. Every, every, they were talking to Jesus. Yeah. They were talking to gods and ascended masters. So they were, although there was some kind of craft, they were also in a heavenly like place. Very good point. Yeah. Very yeah. Good point. It was very, yeah. it's very seance like if you look at, um, especially the, uh, 
Oh gosh, it, uh, the Borderlands Sciences people. Um, that that the the Ethereans and things like that. It's very much you know very much like a seance. Yeah, channeling um, channeling comes from spiritualism, and then it right then it becomes such a big part of the UFO phenomenon. Yep. Well, so, well, the early channeling books—they're all channeling people on Mars. Jesus on Mars. I mean, yep. there's one one of the very first con- channeling books from the early eighteen or late eighteen hundreds is all about Jesus on Mars, and <laughs> the information the information isn't coming from dead people; it's coming from spirits in space. Right. Right. Yeah. So I guess in answer to your question, uh, I think it absolutely from the, from the beginning seems like it has a whole lot to do with the uh, with that the other side. Yeah, I know that Josh, I'm going to cut you in, I know that he's kind of explored this as well, like the the present, especially with the fairy lore and comparing that to the modern UFO contact abduction phenomenon, that yeah. he looks at it, he, lo- he looks at it and says that there is a, that that is one of the similarities that you do see the, the dead or the deceased loved ones showing up in both, in both mythologies. I mean, when I was a kid or a kid, a teenager, and started reading science books and stuff and started reading science fiction, and there were all these stories about if you left the Earth and traveled at light speed, you know, Cosmos and Carl Sagan, by the time you turned, you got to the nearest star, you'd turn around and come back, you'd only be 24 years old, but everybody you knew would be dead. And the first time I kind of really let that soak into my brain the only thing I could think about were Grimm's fairy tales about the elf people, which is they take you into their home, and then when you come back, you've only aged a year or two, but everybody that you know is dead. Fairy, fairy yeah. time. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, Rip Van Winkle. Yeah, I was just going to say, yeah, Rip Van Winkle. You know, you fall asleep, and you wake up, and you're in another world. Yeah. The, the elves come and take you, and you go and eat dinner with them, and then you come back, and the city has changed, and all your relatives have aged and died. Yeah, maybe you drink some of their ginger ale. Yep. <laughs> maybe that's what the the, the uh, Kelly Hopkinsville goblins were, were doing. So let's let's go on for just a little bit longer. You guys cool with that? I know we're yeah. kind of uh, almost at that yeah. hour and a half point. Um, uh, Aaron, I did want to ask you before we move on to just like a kind of fun thing about horror movies. You made a comment in the uh, Swamp Gas Life episode that you did, your your presentation at the library. Oh, yeah. yeah. About UFO crashes being kind of like a conspiracy that oil prospectors were promoting. You made that oh. comment, and then you didn't really expound on it, and I was just curious what... <laughs> Oh, I, I think I was um I think I was probably referencing the Aztec crash okay. scam. Yeah. Um because um there was uh, there were some oil prospectors who who invented a basically a fake machine for detecting oil and one of the people mixed up with this was also mixed up with um with uh, the the Frank Scully Aztec crash story and Dr Dr G and uh, and and those guys and and whenever anybody asked me a question saying you commented once on I'm like oh my god what did I say uh, but um, <laughs> yeah it must have been um it's sort of lost to the mists of memory now it's been more than you know four months ago so i, I barely recollect yeah, it, it just really got my attention and i was just like what that's, that's quite the prospecting if you make the government think a ufo crash you know you make you sell it to them real quick and you know yeah it must have it must have been an, an aztec reference um of some kind uh yeah i that that's the, that's the best i can do <laughs> you know, the other gentleman have anything to add to that or <laughs> no i, I think that, that's 
Frank Scully referenced and Dr. G, that all sounds right. And the selling of the machine that's going to find you gold and oil and all that stuff. That sounds right. (laughs) It's basically ufology in a nutshell. In a lot of ways, yeah, it's like that's, you know, every 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 few years, there's there's another scam that gets uh, that gets hooked up um, with it. I've been reading a lot of um, the the episode that's coming out next week is about. Uh, I looked through some '90s UFO uh, magazines, and I'm recording the entire podcast on cassette tape. So yes, that's going to be y- yes, I, I, it's awesome. going to be. That was my associate producer. Was like, it's like you should do it. You should do a, a cassette podcast. I'm like that's the dumbest idea. Wait, I will do that. Yeah, but um, you, you look at, at some of the the ads in the, the just the, the sort of weird classified ads in the back of some of these magazines. It's like like send us your UFO story. We want to hear your UFO story. This is my book about my UFO story device will bring you gold riches comma can divine precious metals in the ground you know it's just like these ra- are we gonna get are we gonna get pictures of this plugged in. of these ads um i, I can do that yes please please <laughs> i'll live for that stuff yeah the uh the, my, my favorite one is the personal ads in the back of ufo magazine those are and, and can we can we get a copy of this saucer life on uh I guess probably like four cassettes. Is it going to take? <laughs> <laughs> no, all all, uh, all Meyer had was uh, was ninety minute cassettes. So okay, because I, cool. I, I looked at I actually buying cassettes on on the internet. Good lord, when did they get super expensive? Yeah, it's, it's when, it's when people, when people stop using them. I I, I guess I did a hundred uh, episodes. Well, I did. A, I I bought because uh, I bought them off the internet. I did. There's a cassette version of Realm of the Weird, and I bought. Uh, 20 minute tapes so 10 minutes on each side yeah. so I, I fit one episode on a cassette tape and i was like holy crap cassettes are expensive so yeah. I, meyer had a five pack of maxell 90 minute tapes for five bucks and i was like yep i'll buy that that's yeah John, did, i don't care about the I don't care about the quality did, did anybody <laughs> buy those pardon did, did, for, for john did anybody buy those oh. cassettes Oh yeah, they sold out like the two events I had. <laughs> That's on awesome. that. People were like, "These, these are crazy. Cool. Why would you do that?" Like I was like, "I don't know. Just something in my punk rock days. Yeah, we used to absolutely. make cassettes and sell them to people." Absolutely, we might have to do that for the conspiranormal patrons for the high high level donors. <laughs> yeah, they're, apparently they're making a comeback. This this guy right here puts he puts stuff out on cassette. So it's the it's the new thing. Get get with it, you know. So okay. Horror movies. Let's talk a little bit about movies. Um, favorite horror films, or maybe not even, or runners up. It's not Halloween I'll, anymore, but you know, unfortunately. I'll but. I'll, I'll go first. Okay. I've been watching a lot of uh, mystery science theater and riff tracks stuff because that's <laughs> that's mostly what I watched. I'm not really a horror guy, but the riff tracks guys did one um, a while back that that struck me as being really kind of creepy and good and and my wife was making fun of me for actually being startled by things but it's city of the dead it's one of those um ones from british lion film almost black and white sort of british horror films from the 60s and it's got it's got christopher lee it's got valentine dial it's got this gorgeous blonde whose name i can't remember um and it's it's like salem witch trial stuff and it's it's city of the dead it's it's just it's it's fun it's like an hour and 15 minutes long yeah. the whole movie is um but it, it's it's just it's just creepy in the way that those those sort of 60s sort of hammer horror style films are um just really really fun stuff 
So I'll just jump in on that because I love City of the Dead. Oh, and good. And yeah. I will tell you that I have Vanetta Stevenson's autograph. That is oh, Vanetta Stevenson. Yes. That is the hot woman. She is yes. like the, one of the only people alive who was still in that film. Oh, uh, I was wondering. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she was married to Russ Tamblin for a little while. I don't know if you know who Russ Tamblin is. He was in The Haunting. Yeah. Um, But no, I love that film. It's it's very creepy. And it starts off just like straight out bonkers with a burning a witch. Like it's great. Yep. And then and then like like smash cut to college history class. Right. And and then, yeah, it it takes some twists in the middle that I'm like, wait, what? No, they're dead. Why? And then. They can't really be dead. Like, no, they're dead. That's they're gone for the rest of the movie. Uh, it, it's no, it's 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 wild. Apparently, it's, it's been it's a lot used by a lot of metal bands. In it's got some samples. Apparently, in it. Iron Maiden used it as a, in a music video for "Bring Your Daughter to the Slaughter." Oh, that's a good one. King, King, <laughs> there's a lot of there's there's a lot of burn which burn stuff in there. Yeah, King Diamond also it yes. also used yes. clips in his Sleepless Nights video. And uh, Rob Zombie, it's the opening words to to the to drag the song Dragula. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uses a a, a clip from it. That's great. Is there just a, for anybody who didn't? Just for anybody who didn't know, I collect old uh, actors' autographs. That's like the thing that I don't ever really talk about that much. Sometimes I'll post them on Twitter and stuff like that. But I have way too many autographs from people who are now either dead or, if they're alive, in their late eighties. Cool. Oh wow. Wow, is there and mostly horror? It's mostly horror movie stuff in the Twilight Zone. Is there a runner-up oh, wow. for you, Aaron? Um, gosh, not. I'm not a big horror guy. I don't like being scared or startled in any way. So, um, <laughs> horror movie, I, I really don't. Is there any potential um, crossover to alien UFO movies and horror? Um, I I really really liked. I mean, and I know this is. I, I don't I don't know how this movie is perceived by anybody in either the movie realm or the UFO realm, but I really enjoyed Signs. I mm-hmm. I I thought that was that was fun. I it was it was creepy. It was weird. It was interesting. Um, I saw it once. I have no need to see it again. But it was, yeah. Gosh, that's a lukewarm endorsement. <laughs> it, yeah, there well, it was. I mean, you know, it is uh, M. Night Shyamalan. You know, after Science, I think was like the beginning of the decline. So yeah, I, I, I after that, it was like, oh, this is Science was better, you know, and you know, and Science wasn't as good as the other stuff. But yeah, but I, I, I like, I liked it. I, I thought that was that was good. Okay, I, I think he's, I think he's such a great director, and I, I think at a certain point. Um, it became clear, at least to me, that he was a better director than he was a writer. And, and, and then I was just, I felt like, God, I'd really like to see him direct other people's work and, and bring that side of his talent and not worry so much about how do I outdo the sixth sense right. again right. and again right. and again, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. I agree um, with that. I, I would... Speaking of the Sixth Sense, which which I do love, um, I also love the others. Oh, it's uh, a great Nicole film. Kidman movie. Oh yeah, yeah. Remember that one? It's so good. It's, I, it's I, great. Yeah, and I kind of I saw it, and then 
and I, I really liked it. Then I kind of completely forgot about it and then saw it again uh, just a few months ago and just thought, wow, this is just really, I mean, it's entertaining as a movie, but in a way, like almost philosophically, I'm like, wow, maybe they really nailed it. Maybe that's really what it is. You know, maybe that's how ghosts work. Um, but, and so those are kind of, you know, scary ones, but for me, I, I tend toward, uh, you know, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, I mean, that's so many people, I've got a poster of that framed in, in the various offices that I go to when I work on different shows. And, and I don't know if I've been to one where the other male writers don't walk in and go, Oh my God, that's my favorite movie. Just the combination there of like horror and comedy. I think it's so potent. I think that combination is, re it's like, in a way, they're almost like, it's almost the same thing. It's like you react, you know, you're either shouting or you're shouting with laughter. You know, you're kind of having the same jolt effect one way or the other, but it balances out and builds. So I love like American Werewolf in London or Shaun of the Dead. Movies yeah. just sort of, yeah. You know, kind of bounce you back and forth. I find that really exhilarating. I really, and it's it's, diffi it's has so difficult to do well. I, I think it is. I mean, I haven't seen a lot of bad ones, or maybe I did, and I just remember the good ones. But, um, but, but you do because you want, you, you, and you want to temper it. It's like it's like okay, you know, build up the tension, release it with a laugh. It, it, I think that's very important. I think a lot of movies forget that, and they kind of are, are a little relentless in 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 just one pursuing one tone, and it and it becomes. Uh, you know, a little bit of uh, diminishing returns, I think. I think Evil Dead 2 kind of falls in that category, too, where it's just like, it's just such a, yeah, it's just yeah. such a damn fun ride to watch it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think a way to do it badly is um, Hillbillies in a Haunted House. I don't know if you've ever seen that. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, yeah, it, it's, um, it, it's got a bunch of a bunch of like like Lon Chaney's in it. There's some classic horror actors John, in it, but also John Carradine's. John Carrad well, John Carradine's in everything from right. like 1940 <laughs> to, to 1982. <laughs> but um, and but but, but it's got like um, Ferlin Hus Husky, uh, the the country music singer um who who did the less well-known versions of all the classic trucker songs you know and love there, there, there's like there's like the furlan husky version that you get cheap at walmart and then there's the real version you find out about later done by the good singer uh, but it, it's horrible i mean it's it's because it's not scary and it's not funny and the, the plot is dumb and so seeing that really puts into perspective how you know abbott and costello meet frankenstein is you know really very well done there's there's a lot of there's a lot of craft there that i think people overlook because it's you know it's 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 scary but it's silly and it's not like a serious film sort of thing but but it's it's difficult to make something that looks like it wasn't difficult to do who directed it richard do you know oh God, oh, this is such a horrible question because I should know that instantly and I'm sitting in front of the computer, but no, I will not look it up. I will simply say I can't remember. Okay. <laughs> okay, now, okay now, now I'll look it up. <laughs> Who's up next? I'll, I'll take a hit. <laughs> Who's up next? 
Yeah, John. Is well, I guess, up next. I guess it, I guess uh, I'm a. I love old films, so this is difficult for me to pick favorites. So I'll just throw a bunch out. Yeah. Um, I love the two types of films that I love. I love really old horror films that are just whacked out and massively bizarre, and then maybe later horror films of the 50s and 60s that have some kind of connection. So, like, I love there's a movie called The Mole People. Mm-hmm. And I think people miss the fact that that begins with a, a an entire lecture about the the hollow earth, yeah, yeah. and then yes. the race yes. the, ra- the race of people in the in the movie are the Lemurians, and yep. like there's this Whoa. whole yeah it's this whole crazy like and do you think the mole people is the biggest part? But it's not. It's like this ancient Atlantean race that lives underground, and I love the mole people. Um, I love the black cat from 32 with Boris Karloff and Bela Lugosi where Karloff is pretty much playing Alistair Crowley. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Just super crazy and super stylized. Um, Dr. X, which I think is 32 as well, which is uh, a movie that contains uh, references to rape, cannibalism, uh, the main character is eating people and cutting parts of their body off, and he has created synthetic flesh to wear over his face. It's just for 1932. It's just out of control. And then, not a horror film, but uh, in the 1920s, there was a Lon Chaney film called The Penalty, uh, which I guess is kind of a horror film. It's about a little boy who a doctor mistakenly amputates his legs, and he grows up to become a crime boss. And he makes it his life's work to track down the doctor so that they can amputate the doctor's legs and attach them back to him. <laughs> oh my nice. god, that is amazing! And it's not- it's called the penalty. It's- it's called The Penalty. If you ever see it, it's crazy because Lon Chaney uh, Sr., um, he actually had them strap his legs up against the back of his thighs, and then they put a belt around his back to hold his feet against his back, and then they hammered buckets onto his knees, and he did the whole film, and it, it's amazing. He, he looks like he has no legs. It's It's amazing. That had to be so painful. Yeah, it's quite the method acting there. Yeah, well, he was. I mean, he really was. Um, I guess for me, I'll, I'll go. What, what I, I mean, it, it sounds really cliche, but I really am a fan of the original Exorcist. I think in many ways, yeah. no, it's, yeah. it's, it's just such a mm-hmm. perfect movie. In 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 just the way that it's made, and just the way that it's structured, how it is just this slow, yeah build yeah. through the entire thing and and, and i mean and, and and friedkin just does it the way he edits it the way he the way he paces it it's just it's just a it's not even a perfect horror movie it's a perfect movie in so many ways uh, so that's probably the and it's still one that that i will watch and still just kind of be just disturbed by mm-hmm even though it's been so cliched and it's been so overdone and made fun of, but it's just such a disturbing film. And there's this, there's just something about it that he puts into it that is um, disturbing. And, and another one I think um, that I really like that I saw recently uh, is not, well, I love the original Nosferatu. But I also like um, 
the one that was made in the seventies with um, Klaus Kinski. Yeah, that uh, that one I think oh. is a, is a great. Just the way that um, uh, and now now I'm going to draw a blank on one of my favorite directors. That's uh, the way. Oh, hey, speaking of while while you're thinking of that, uh, it's Charles Barton. Charles Barton. That was the guy who did meet Frankenstein. Yeah. And that that that, that does that name does sound for me. Yeah, Werner Herzog, Nosferatu yeah, the Herzog. Vampire. Oh yeah. And I mean, just oh, yeah. um, Kinski. If it was Kinski, it should have been Herzog, right? Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Kinski, just the way he plays that character, and it's it, it, he's not confident at all. He's just this weak, simpering little thing, and it's just <laughs> and and doing crazy things like getting all those rats into the city and. That whole first sequence where you're just seeing dead mummified bodies, you know, that's another one. And um, I really like uh, one that Richard, you, you, I, I guess you kind of told me about it, although I think I'd seen it uh, when we first heard you on, like you know George C. Scott, The Changeling. Um, that's great. That's a great one, and it's oh, yeah. it's one that you know it's just, I mean, it has that. Um, that first freaky kind of feel, but you, but you're there with that character as he kind of investigates what's going on and what really happened. And the movie changes. It's, it's kind of, it's feel from like this creepy feel to like the revelation of what actually happens or what is the, the mystery involved. And I think it's, that that's one that's like a, not as well known, but I think a kind of also a perfect horror film as well. Yeah. Hey, have you guys seen um, What We Do in the Shadows? Yeah, that's the comedy. It, the Yeah, it, it's the, uh, the comedy documentary about the uh, vampires living together. Yeah. I, I thought, no. I, I really wow. loved that too. I thought it was really funny, but also had some really dark, disturbing uh, images and moments in it that, that kind of, uh, that I, I wasn't expecting. But that's, uh, I, I put that right up there too. Yeah, that's that is a good one too. That's the same guys that did Fly to the Concords. Uh, those comedians. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. What What is your all time favorite, Richard? I don't. I mean, I think those are some of them. I mean, uh, The Exorcist is wonderful. Um, uh, I uh, um, Jacob's Ladder doesn't get talked about a lot. Oh, but yeah. I, some of the visuals in that movie are like we were really sort of like I hadn't seen something a movie that looked like that before. And, and I, and I'm not sure. I, I feel like it didn't really get copied a lot in a weird way. I think if you go back and look at it, it still feels like, Oh, this is fairly unique. It has not been ripped off 5,000 times in the last 20 years, but um, that one for mood and atmosphere and visuals, that that's a, that's a real good one. Cool. I'll have to uh, add mine. I think mine. Poltergeist three. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's not. Though uh, uh, pretty wonderful lady I started dating. That is her her very favorite horror movie. I don't know why, but she made me watch it last the other night. Uh, but no, mine's probably People Under the Stairs. Uh, just from uh, it's the era oh, yeah. I grew up in, and it just all the psychological and sociological stuff. I re- I really like it. Adds an extra dimension of horror. And then a runner-up would have to be Rudy Ray Moore's Petey Wheatstraw as the ultimate <laughs> devil's son-in-law, ultimate ghetto <laughs> oh, Faustian bargain. Yes, yes. 
That was that was on the the rotation of of black exploitation films in college. That we, we I think we had a Ru- Rudy Ray Moore weekend at one point where we we watched a bunch of stuff. So yeah, that's a good. I'm one. Sure, you had to watch Dolomite. Oh God, yeah. One of, one of the one of the best scenes in Dolomite is uh, where they're in the parking lot and you can clearly see the sound guy at the very bottom <laughs> of the screen. Yes. <laughs> you should get a director to do that, Richard, just as a uh, in one of the films, to, 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 just as an homage to Dolomite. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't want to interrupt when you were talking, but the, the only thing that ruined The Exorcist for me was I was doing an event and Linda Blair was there and there was like a guest for people who were signing and and speaking. There was a guest bathroom and there was supposed to be someone guarding it because the door didn't lock. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know that until after I opened it up and walked in on Linda Blair taking a big dump. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's yeah. It was coming out. the other. It was coming out the other end. Not the. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Man. Well, I think that's a good place to end, guys. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there, there's nowhere else to go. <laughs> there, there really isn't. Uh, let's go. Let's go down the line, guys. Um, just uh, you know, what's next for you guys? Um, all that good stuff. We'll start with you, Aaron. Um, uh, the saucer life comes out, um, every other Wednesday and, uh, you can find that at saucerlife.com and on Twitter at saucer life and Instagram at saucer life and anywhere you find podcast next big project that I should probably start working on is a book I'll be writing over the next year on, um, what I'm calling triumphalist conspiracy theory in the United States. So everything from, from sovereign citizen legal theory oh, yeah. to Nasara to QAnon and uh, the role that these kinds of uh, – to the Mueller report will solve everything uh, on the other side of the spectrum. Um, so the, this idea of conspiracies with a happy ending as opposed to they're all going to put us in the FEMA camps kind of conspiracy oh, theories. So that's the next project. Okay. Yeah, we, we definitely – we got to get cool. you on for that. Oh, yeah. Uh, Richard? Um, uh, heading back into a new season of Titans on DC Universe. So that show can be watched on uh, various obscure devices. I think if you have a uh, a toaster oven or a pacemaker, okay. So well, one day there'll be a you know a, we'll just be doing puppet shows pretty soon. But anyway, yeah, that's uh, that's what I'm working on, and then uh, maybe a few other things that I can't talk about yet, but uh, okay. hopefully I will soon. All right, yeah, and people can cool. find you on Twitter. And then people can find me on Twitter and um, and hanging out at uh, Cindy's Coffee Shop in Eagle Rock. Uh, so uh, there you go. All right, and John? Uh, everything, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook is all John E.L. Tenney, weirdlectures.com. I have one more event on November 22nd that I'm done for the year, and I can focus on this book that I'm writing about uh, – humanoid encounters that were happening in Michigan throughout 2018. I, for some reason, oh, 2018, yes. there were, I, I got about 38 reports of different types of humanoids. So I'm trying to get that done this year. Really? Wow. Very cool. Interesting. That, that sounds amazing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I second that. We're going to have to, we're going to have to have you on for that one too. That's, that's, that's awesome. That's awesome. All right. Uh, it, I think we're going to call it. Uh, Guys, stay on the line for us. We're going to close out the show, and we'll be right back on Conspiranormal. 
If you want your HR team to hire top talent for your company, tell them about ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology identifies people with the right skills, education, and experience, and actively invites them to apply to your company's job posts, so you get qualified candidates fast. It's no wonder that ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the U.S. This rating comes from hiring sites on Trustpilot with over 1,000 reviews. And right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Conspiranormal. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Conspiranormal. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. All right. So that was a little longer than usual roundtable, but I think a really good and productive one. That was amazing. Absolutely. The energy was crazy. We've got a new concept, uh, Tenny's Octopus. Yeah. New theoretical yeah. framework. Yeah, I think that was great. We we need to have a graphic of that or something. Yeah, I drew Definitely a little picture a, of it Attribute that maybe, to him. Maybe I'll uh, put that on the Instagram. What does it say? What's it say on it? It's got uh, the head of the octopus and then the tentacles, ghosts, UFOs, cryptids, and conspiracy. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, that was uh, that was definitely a good roundtable, and always good to uh, to have Richard on too. And uh, Aaron is always just like super informative with the knowledge that he has and all. Yeah, this I wish he could have been my professor, dude. I know, awesome. right? That would that be. Good? <laughs> I, I, I envy those kids over like there the coolest, in Flint, bro. one of the coolest professors in the world, man. Yeah, could you imagine being uh, having a class with him? So. uh I guess, man. I don't know. We would call it. I mean, when you would talk about anything, anything else that you that you insights or uh, I guess from not. that we, we kind of covered it all. Yeah, uh, we we kind of did. We might have some little James Shelby Denner bonus material. Yeah, I think we're going to put out a little bit. What was it like another fifteen minutes that we talked? I think it about it a little bit about that. About so, 10 minutes, yeah. so there'll be a little bit of a bonus material on the Patreon for the, for this. Um, we may start doing that enough because we do sometimes talk to the guests after. We may just start putting some of that information. And but otherwise, I mean, we post show uh, banter up. Yeah, and, and we've been uh, improving the space of Studio B, and I'm. Uh, we might be starting to experiment with uh, video and live feeds soon. So yeah, yeah, that's something may. that we're thinking about um, doing. Uh, right now, I, mean, I think we're about like two weeks ahead on show, so we may start streaming those. We got to find out where we're going to stream them. Yeah, I know yeah. Facebook. I know details. some people do like Gramerica doesn't does it on Twitter like they did tonight. So, so we'll see. So, uh, just putting it out there, guys. Patreon is still there. Patreon dot com slash conspiranormal. You can leave as little as a dollar, make a recurring. Or you can go to the uh, website and you can donate there as well. And also T Public. Yeah, we got the cool, cool, uh, the Bigfoot with a fez and uh-huh. the skull with a fez conspiracy normal designs, and you can get them in like any color. I think you can get hoodies and tank tops and whatever. So, yep, yeah. and so those are, so those are available. That helps us out as well. And we and did have questions. We do have some remaining Strange Realities t-shirts. Okay. And Jer- Jerry, our friend Jerry, was asking me today about those, whether we're putting them available online. So we'll have to figure that out, too. Okay. Yeah. Well, I still have plenty of them, so we can uh, we can start moving those out. Those are those are there, too. Got a nice little, uh, little scene on them that was made. So... Um, and YouTube, don't forget that, Conspiranormal Podcast, that is there. 
It would give us uh, some more subscribers on that and leave a review on iTunes. That also helps Please. us out. Please. So I believe that is it, guys. I want to thank everybody. I want to thank Richard Haddam, John Tinney, and Aaron Gullius for doing this awesome roundtable episode on Conspiranormal. lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.